let's uh, continue in worship by turning in our Bibles to the book of First Samuel. If you're new with us, uh, my name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. We're just so glad that you've chosen to worship with us this morning. And we have been going through uh, a series leading up to Christmas called Jesus's Family Tree. And so we've actually been in the book of Genesis for the last five weeks. And now we are jumping forward uh, to 1 Samuel chapter 16. So 1 Samuel is the ninth book of the Old Testament right after Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. So if you just go to the very beginning of your Bible and start flipping forward, uh, nine books in, you will find First Samuel. Like I said, we've been uh, studying the family tree of Jesus, and uh, one of the things we've been talking about is that you, as a person here this morning, didn't just kind of plop onto this earth out of nowhere. You are a product of your family tree, of the history of the people in your family that came before you. And learning about your family tree can actually help you learn a lot more about yourself. And uh, when we come to Christmas time every year, uh, we study the birth of Jesus, and uh, it can kind of give us a sense that the birth of Jesus just kind of came out of nowhere. It's, right, it's the very beginning of the New Testament uh, is uh, the birth of Jesus. And so um, uh, it can seem like it just comes out of nowhere, and yet the Bible doesn't start with the New Testament. We have the family tree of Jesus, and so understanding the background and the people that uh, came before Jesus is going to help us understand our Savior even more. So with that in mind, last week we studied the life of Joseph. Uh, we did the whole entire life of Joseph uh, in an, uh, one sermon, and uh, I've been told this morning because of the children's program, I better not preach for 40 minutes again. And so we're not going to, we're studying the life of David this morning, but we're not going to study the whole life of David. We, last week we took a wide angle lens on Joseph. This morning we are just zooming in on one incident in the life of David uh, from 1 Samuel 16. So let me pray for us. Hopefully you've turned there in your Bible and then we will begin. Well, Heavenly Father, God, uh, just uh, echo and amen. Uh, to what has been prayed here and sung here and spoken here already this morning. Um, just like we just sang, uh, tell the world his name is Jesus. Uh, we have a Savior who has come. He was born in a manger in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago like we just saw uh, so wonderfully portrayed to us by the kids. And uh, he came humbly, and he came to die so that we might be given eternal life in him. So Lord, I pray this morning as we turn to your word, if there's anyone in this room this morning who does not know Jesus as their Savior, I pray that this morning they that would change, that they would know Jesus not just as a baby in a manger, but as uh, they're all in all, as everything. And Lord, for the rest of us who do know Jesus as Savior, we need reminded over and over and over again of how desperately we are in need of the King, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. So help us this morning with the rest of our time, and I pray that you are glorified and speak to us in all things we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, uh, in my house, uh, I am notorious for losing things and um, then uh, asking my wife, and she knows exactly where that thing is. I don't know if anyone can relate to that, but I wonder if you've ever had a time in your life where you were looking for someone or something, and you had it pictured in your mind what you were looking for, um, but what you were looking for was actually different than what you're picturing, and so you couldn't find it even though it was right in front of your face the whole time. I'll uh, give an illustration of what I mean. There was a time, uh, I, I don't remember, I've been to, to Guatemala several times leading uh, different mission trips to visit a ministry down there. Our church has gone to several times. And one of these trips, uh, was one, I was an earlier one, and uh, we flew into the airport, and in the Guatemalan airport, you go and you pick up your luggage, and then you go out, and there's this kind of hallway with... Uh, with like a plexiglass walls and there's just like mobs of people there that are looking to meet the people that they're picking up from the airport and so we uh, were told that there was going to be someone from the ministry that we were supposed to meet and the last time I had been there there was a uh, Canadian young lady who had picked us up and so in my head I was looking for a this Canadian young woman and so we go out and we all have our luggage and I'm stressed and there's people everywhere and I'm trying to look for this uh, young woman and I'm looking and looking and I just don't see her anywhere and uh, so on the instructions that we had there says there's a phone number for if you can't uh, find uh, the person if something goes wrong call this number and uh, and we'll figure out what's going on. So I called the number, and they're like, well, they're, the person says that they're there. They're waiting for you. And, uh, but it wasn't uh, this Canadian young woman. It was a Guatemalan man. And uh, so when I realized that, I turned and looked, and like through the plexiglass wall, this, this guy had been standing there, like waving his arms at me, knocking on the wall, like, I'm right. But I was just so stressed and so just in my own world and looking for one particular thing that I just, I completely missed him. So I saw him like, oh my goodness, he's wearing the Impact Ministry shirt. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. I can't believe I missed you. But I, the reason I didn't see him is because I didn't know what, who I was looking for. And uh, our story this morning is kind of like that. Our story this morning uh, tells of Samuel going to Jesse's house, David, the father of David, Jesse, the father of David, to find the next king of Israel. Now, a little over a month ago, if you were here, we talked a little bit about King Saul. King Saul was the first king of Israel, and he was the result of Israel asking for a very specific kind of king. Do you remember what Israel wanted? They said they wanted a king like what? It was mumbled to me by a couple of you. A king like, does anyone know it confidently? All the other nations, very good. Israel was asking for a king like the nations. Meaning what? They wanted a king that would make them feel safe and secure, just like the other nations had kings to make them feel safe and secure. Now, what was the problem with that? Well, who had promised to keep Israel safe and secure? Yahweh, God. And so their search for a king like the nations was really a rejection of God. And how do things go, generally speaking, when you reject God? Man, you guys are not doing very well this morning. How do things go when you reject God? 
There we go. Very good. Thank you, everybody. Doesn't go well. So Israel had eyes to look for one particular type of king, and they actually got that type of king. And when they got it, they realized it was not at all what they needed. They needed something completely different. And so we're going to pick up the story in 1 Samuel 16 when God tells Samuel it's time to anoint a new king. Look at verse 1 with me. It says this, The Lord said to Samuel, How long are you going to mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I love that. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem because I have selected for myself a king from his son. So Samuel is um, upset because things have gone so terribly wrong uh, after he anointed Saul to be the king. And the Lord is just like, oh, how long are you going to mourn, Samuel? Fill up your horn and go. I have another job for you to do. And so that's what he does. And so um, Samuel asked He's a little bit worried about this. He says, how can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. Uh, makes sense. Saul being the king, uh, if he finds out that Samuel has filled up his horn with oil to anoint another king, uh, Saul's probably not going to be very happy about that. So the Lord has a plan. The Lord answers, take a young cow with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will let you know what you are to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate to you. Now, this is interesting. This is like a whole other sermon that we don't have time to get into, but God essentially tells him to uh, bring a, a calf with him and sacrifice that calf, and then that will be cover for the real reason why he's there. And uh, so uh, this also gives pretense uh, to be with Jesse and his family uh, because that's the family that the king would come from. And so, um, so Samuel is going to, uh, if there's any questions, says, I'm just here to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Verse 4, Samuel did what the Lord directed and went to Bethlehem. When the elders of the town met him, they trembled and asked, do you come in peace? Now, so the sight of Samuel, the elders of the town of Bethlehem, are freaked out. Why is that? Why this prophet of the Lord, why are the elders of the town freaked out? Now, sometimes, uh, me as a pastor, uh, I, I send someone, I send you a text, and, hey, we'd love to get together with you this week. Uh, that maybe causes some of you to tremble a little bit and, and say the same thing. Do you come in peace? <laughs> Am I in trouble here, Pastor Mike? Um, but I don't think that's actually why uh, they were so worried about uh, Samuel showing up. Uh, I think it actually has something to do with what happened in the chapter right before this. And so if you're in 1 Samuel 16, look at just a few verses back. Uh, chapter 15, verse 33. This is just a, a beautiful verse. If you want a verse, a tattoo or, you know, a verse to put up in your house or something, uh, the second half of verse 33, this is just, this is beautiful. And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. <laughs> That's something. I know. I was. I was studying this week. I. Uh, I was just in my normal Bible, uh, just reading this passage, and I had written. I don't know. Remember when? I just had written. Dang! Right next to that. Like. Okay, Samuel. He doesn't mess around. 
And so uh, that's probably why the elders are a little bit freaked out. That's the last thing they heard that Samuel did was uh, hacked King Agag to pieces. And we don't have time to talk about why. So that's your homework for, I've been given homework every week in this series. That's your homework for this week is to read uh, the passage uh, uh, and learn why Samuel did that. But the elders are essentially asking, do you come in peace or do you come to chop us up in pieces? And uh, verse 5, Samuel says, in peace, he replied, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord, which is what the Lord told him to say. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Okay, so now we're kind of, we're getting to the meat of the story here. So setting up the scene, we have Samuel in Bethlehem with Jesse's family, and we know that the next king of Israel is going to come from Jesse's family. God has had enough of Saul. Again, you're going to have to go back and read the story to learn why. God has had enough of Saul. He's rejected him as the king. He's ready to anoint a new king. It's going to come from Jesse's family, and now it's about to happen. So the first thing that Samuel does is he sees the sons of Jesse to see who is going to be the king. And what Samuel, who the first one that Samuel sees is the firstborn son, Eliab. And Eliab is like straight out of central casting, like exactly what you would expect the next king of Israel to look like. He looks the part, and that's exactly what Samuel thinks when he sees him. Verse 6, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and said... Certainly the, anoint, the Lord's anointed one is here before him. Uh, a little bit confusing. What he's saying there is this has got to be the guy. Like, look at him. He's tall. He's strong. He looks like a king. I, you know, you meet people like this where you're like, that guy could tell me to do whatever he told me to do. I would just do it without asking any questions because it just feels like he should be the boss of me. Maybe that's just my own personality. But anyways, you meet people like this sometimes, and uh, this is exactly who Eliab is. He just looks like the king. And listen to what the Lord says to Samuel in verse 7, his response to Samuel's eyes thinking this guy should be the king. This is a key verse of the whole passage. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his stature because I have rejected him. Humans do not see what the Lord sees, for humans see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. The Lord sees the heart. It's a fascinating verse, isn't it? God says, don't consider him according to what he looks like. Just because he looks like the next king doesn't mean he is the next king. I've rejected him. He says, humans can only see what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. In other words, just don't assume that because things look a certain way, that they are that way. Humans are limited in what they can perceive, but God sees the whole picture. And this is super encouraging, isn't it? This teaches us that although we can each have our own point of view, we can each see things a certain way, God is the one who sees and knows the ultimate truth. God is never going to be wrong about anything. He's never going to misjudge anyone. God's never going to be like, oh man, I completely underestimated that person, or I was completely wrong about that. Um, God sees 
uh, the heart. He can see more than we can see. This is true. But actually, I would say, argue that this isn't the point of these verses. There's something deeper going on here that actually doesn't show up in our English translations. And uh, I uh, came across this when I was reading a commentator named John Woodhouse. He helped me see this. This is what he says, a better way to translate this uh, verse. He says, translated more literally, the last sentence of verse 7 goes like this. For the Lord sees not as man sees, for man sees according to the eyes or with his eyes, but the Lord sees according to the heart or with his heart. Meaning when God sees, he does not just see things with the eyes as we do. God sees according to his heart. That is, God's point of view is determined by his own will and purpose. He sees according to his own intentions, his heart. And this makes a lot of sense to me because when you first read these verses, it, it appears like God is saying, excuse me, <clears throat> it appears like God is saying, uh, Eliab looks like the guy, but I can see his heart. His heart is wicked, and I know there's another one who has a pure heart. Um, that's not what he's saying. In fact, we know um, David uh, does not have the purest heart uh, as we re learn as we read the David story. God sees according to his heart. And so I think this verse means something closer to this. It means you, as a mortal man, take in the information that you can see and you try to make the best decision possible. This is how we all operate, right? On a day-to-day -day basis, we observe the world around us, take in what we can, try to use the wisdom of past experiences, try to use wisdom maybe from other counselors, and we pray, uh, but ultimately we just try to make the best decision that we can. But God, as the infinite, all-powerful, sovereign one, sees the world according to his plan, which is determined by his heart. And here's the point of all this. You're like, where, where are you going with this, Pastor Mike? God's plan doesn't always make sense to our eyes. God doesn't always do what you'd expect. In fact, he rarely does what you'd expect. His plan rarely, I would argue, makes perfect sense to our eyes. And we see this, you want an example of this, we see this over and over and over again uh, in the Bible, right? In the Old Testament, God didn't choose the strongest nation to be his people. In fact, you remember we've been talking about how did Israel begin with an old childless couple who couldn't have any kids and uh, didn't have much faith in God and kept, God kept telling them to do something and they kept disobeying. And from them, the nation of Israel began. We find out later in God's word, he said, I didn't choose you, Israel, because you're the greatest among the nations, but I chose you because you were the least. See this over and over again. When, when Israel needed a leader, God doesn't always choose the most confident, capable person. In fact, sometimes God chooses a nervous guy with a speech impediment, like he did with Moses, to lead Israel out of Egypt. 
when it's time for Israel to fight. God doesn't need to attack with the largest army. In fact, sometimes God whittles the army down to almost nothing, like he did with Gideon, just to prove his power. And then we come to this story. When it's time to choose a king, God doesn't always choose the strong, tall, firstborn son like you would expect. Sometimes he chooses the smallest boy. And so after seeing all of Jesse's sons, and the Lord rejects every single one of them, this is what happens in verse 11. Samuel asked him, meaning Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Jesse, you can almost see it like dawning on him, like he thinks there's all the sons he has. Oh yeah, they're still the youngest, he answered, but right now he's tending the sheep. Like he didn't even think to bring him in earlier. Samuel told Jesse, send for him. We won't sit down to eat until he gets here. So Jesse sent for him. He had beautiful eyes and a healthy, handsome appearance. The same words, actually, that are used to describe Joseph, interestingly. Then the Lord said, anoint him, for he is the one. And Samuel obeys and anoints David to be the next king. And this didn't make human sense. But it doesn't matter how things appear to us. What matters is how has God chosen to work? Who has God set his heart on? God set his heart on David, and David became king. And about a thousand years later, another king would be born in the same town. Isaiah says this about him in chapter 53. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. No beauty that we should desire him. As we reflect on Christmas, we just saw just an amazing presentation of the Christmas story. And in our minds... Unless this is your first time hearing the Christmas story, I imagine that most of you have heard that story before. And so in our minds, it's just, that's what it is. That's what God chose to do. And we don't question it. We don't ask, why? Like, do you realize if God wanted to, if he was trying to send, like, some, a, a rescuer to save people from the bad guys, like, he could have just as easily sent like a 30-foot tall like humanoid creature with like shooting lasers out of his eyes and like breathing fire and like it would have been this terrifying person to see. He could have just as easily done that, but he didn't. Why not? Because that's not how God works. God sent his son in the most humble circumstances possible. This is how God works. And if you don't have eyes to see it, you're going to miss it completely. This is what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, 
so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Let me read that again. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God did the most remarkable thing imaginable in the humblest circumstances possible so that we can know that we have nothing to boast about in the presence of God. That verse ends, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. So if you're putting your trust in the wisdom of the world, you are just, you're, you're missing how God works. If you're putting your hope in the strength of the world, you're missing it. And I don't know where you're at this morning as we wind down 2023. I don't know what you're tempted to look for for security or success or strength. But this morning, I'm asking you very simply to take a risk like Samuel. Take a risk like Samuel. Samuel wanted Eliab. He saw him. He's like, that's the king. That's my guy. This is the one that I can trust Eliab made sense. <laughs> Eliab looked like a king, but God had chosen David, so Samuel anointed David. And all I'm saying is that there's many Eliabs in the world. There are so many things that it just looks like it makes sense to put your trust in. It makes way more sense than putting your trust in a baby born 2,000 years ago. But God anointed Jesus. God sent Jesus. When I was in the lobby of that Guatemalan airport, I was just like frantically looking for the person that I thought was going to be the solution to my problem when the actual solution to my problem was like standing right there behind the plexiglass wall just like waving his arms at me. But in the chaos of, of my, the airport and in my anxiousness to get where I was going, I just couldn't see it. And this morning, I just wonder if that's what's happening in your life as well. You are here at church this morning. It's no accident. Maybe uh, you just thought you're coming to watch your grandson or granddaughter or niece or nephew or whatever in the, in the Christmas program. And, um, and let me say, they did an awesome job. Your granddaughter was the best one up here for sure. Um, they did great. And we're so glad that you came. Um, to see that, but I wonder if maybe also God isn't trying to get your attention. Standing there, waving his arms. <laughs> I'm right here. I've been here the whole time. You've been looking there and there and there and there and there and there and there, and you've spent years and years and years looking for the solution to your problem when I've been here right next to you. And I can't force you to relent. I can't force you to humble yourself and come to me. But man, it's like when I called that person on the phone and they said, actually, the person you've been looking for is standing right next to you. Maybe I'm just the person on the phone this morning just humbly saying, he's been standing right next to you. Maybe the solution to your problem it's actually the most humble, lowly, unexpected answer that our lovely angel just read to us. Fear not, for behold, 
I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Humble, weak, unexpected, and exactly how God works. Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you. We praise you. It is so hard for us as people who want to put our trust in strength and might and riches and whatever else that brings us security. It is so hard for us to wrap our minds around the fact that you are the God who works in the weakest and lowliest and smallest places in the universe to do the greatest and most powerful works so that we can know we have nothing to boast in before you. God, you say, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them. It's a message so simple that a child can understand. Jesus died on the cross for my sins so I can live forever with him. And God, sometimes just as we get older and life complicates things, we try to complicate the message. And instead, we just need to return right back there, right back to the manger. You sent your son to die on the cross for us, to forgive our sins so we could live forever. So God, whoever's here this morning, wherever each person is at, maybe there's people in here who don't know you. They've been looking for answers to fill a hole in their heart for maybe many years. God, maybe you've been standing there the whole time. I pray that they would have eyes to see it this morning. And for those who us, of us who are in Christ and yet forget, are so prone to forget, Lord. I pray that today and in the days and weeks to come leading up to Christmas, God, all oh, that we would just take such joy and just such delight. We just fall on our knees and worship the King of kings and Lord of lords. What a beautiful name it is indeed. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.